In reverence for the reading of the gospel, I invite you to stand as you're able. From the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, beginning in the 26th verse. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm so thankful to Katie for our scripture reading. That was not a short scripture reading we just had. I looked at Katie's schedule today between these services and the O Holy Night services, and I thought to myself, what's a way that I could make her Sunday more complicated? <laughs> but I appreciate you, and I appreciate between that quartet and the wonderful choir piece and that scripture reading, there's not much left to preach on this passage. If you have not heard that quartet song before, I just invite you to listen again on the recording online, and the, the words of that song are based on Mary's song that we're talking about today, and they are so powerful. You may have noticed that our Advent candle today is a different color. Uh, on the third Sunday of Advent, we always light the pink candle, and it's pink because it's connected to the rose. That first hymn that we sang this morning was, Lo, how a rose air blooming. It's a a symbol of joy in the midst of winter. And so we always light that pink candle third. And it's set apart as special because we celebrate joy, especially. At the end of the day, that's our reason for being Christians, is joy. 
<laughs> we receive that joy from God, and joy is what it's all about. Our faith isn't some transaction where we're putting a bunch of good deeds and checking off some boxes to get eternal life, but it's a relationship that gives us everlasting joy. Not just happiness, but joy. And for Mary, joy is central to her faith, and we're going to walk through her experience more in just a moment. But first, I need to clarify, I'm going to use that word a lot today, joy, and I need to clarify what I mean. Joy is different from just plain old happiness. Happiness is momentary, but joy is long-lasting. Happiness is something you can buy, something you get in the moment. When Sophie, my toddler, asked for marshmallows for the third time right before dinner, and we give them to her, uh, happiness is what she is after. <laughs> when you take your family to Disney World, they advertise themselves to be the happiest place on earth, and they very well might be right. Happiness is fine. It's a good thing. But here's the thing about happiness is happiness doesn't follow you into the valleys of your life. When tragedy befalls you and you find yourself in a pit of grief and despair, happiness doesn't go down with you. I'm going to pick on Disney a little bit. Even though we have Disney Plus pulled up in our house on a daily basis in the Bell household, but they're the perfect example. Disney World is indeed one of the happiest places on earth. There's roller coasters and ice cream and turkey legs and Mickey and Minnie, Star Wars and the Animal's Kingdom, anything you want. It's a great place. It's fun. But did you also know that every year, Disney gets multiple requests to use the likeness of Mickey or Spider-Man or other Disney characters on tombstones in cemeteries following the death of children? And every year, Disney denies every request. They have a policy that Disney characters cannot be associated with urns or cemeteries or graves. They don't want their brand, their likeness, to be associated with death and certainly not something as tragic as the death of a child. That's not magical or happy. Happiness doesn't follow you into those valleys. But the remarkable thing is joy can. Joy can fit into any situation. You can be in the hospital recovering from a broken leg and you probably won't be happy, but a loved one can take time to come and visit with you, to enter that valley with you, and you are joyful. You can be one of the apostles imprisoned, imprisoned by the Roman soldiers, and you probably won't be happy there in that jail cell, but you can be singing songs of praise because you have joy knowing that God is going to have the last word. I'll bring it a little closer to home. A few weeks ago, many of us were at the celebration of life service for Claudia Nash, and those of us in that room weren't happy. But we would remember a funny memory of Claudia and how she made us laugh, and we had joy in the knowledge that she is now sharing zingers with the saints, laughing in full communion with God. J.D. Salinger, the famous American author, he describes the difference this way. He says, happiness is a solid, but joy is a liquid. Solids sometimes can't fit, but joy will take the shape of whatever container it's in. That's a beautiful thing, that joy. And here's the good news this morning. That joy is just what God offers to us. That powerful, ever-present joy, a joy that isn't just there in the good times when we're happy, but is also with us, reassuring us when we are in the valleys of death. 
If we look to our scripture reading today, we see that Mary and Joseph were engaged and they are planning a wedding. And many of us in this room have been at that stage of engagement and excitement and planning. We know that they're dreaming and making plans for their future as a couple. We're, we're not told what these plans are, but we can imagine. They're, they're dreaming what this wedding ceremony will look like, where they're going to live after they get married, how many kids they would eventually have. We know that Joseph was a craftsman, a carpenter. I'm sure they had great plans that they had drawn up for a house they were going to build together. The blueprints were made. Blueprints for the house, blueprints for their future. And these were good plans. They would have lived a comfortable life. They were the shapers of this future, and they would have been happy. But we know what happens. Out of nowhere, an angel visits Mary. She receives the news that we now call the Annunciation. You have found favor with God the angel Gabriel says. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you shall bear a son and he will be the son of God. His kingdom will have no end. Now here's the part that Gabriel isn't saying out loud, but he's saying, (laughs) Mary, we've seen that you have a blueprint for your life, but God has bigger plans than what you've drawn up, so you need to take that blueprint and put it through the shredder. Here's an interesting thought experiment. What if Mary had just said no? What if she had looked at the future she planned out for herself and she glanced down and looked over this blueprint she was holding for she and Joseph's life together, their vision of happiness, and what if her hands had tightened around that paper? And she responded to Gabriel and said, tell God to find someone else because I'm not giving this up. Now, of course, we argue Mary would never do that. But the reality is people say no to God all the time. I can unfortunately remember many times in my life that I have said no to God. It happens, it happened then and it happens now. Jesus is knocking on the door and we say, sorry, we're busy, come back later. But Mary is remarkable because when told to throw her blueprints in the shredder, she doesn't say no and instead we hear her say the words, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Why would she say that? Mary let go of this beautiful, happy future that she'd drawn up with her family, her future husband, her hometown. What could possibly compel her? The answer is not guilt or fear or some sense of obligation, but Mary answers yes because she knows this. When you hear, trust, and obey God, you receive joy. And don't take my word for that. Hear it straight from Mary's mouth. And perhaps the greatest song in all of Scripture, Mary sings to God in response to this news, and we hear the words of the Magnificat, the song of Mary. And the first words of that song echo through time. You know them. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit finds joy in God my Savior. That wonderful quartet that we just heard sing, they were singing a song by Rory Cooney called The Canticle of the Turning. And this is a modern rewrite of Mary's song that's a little easier for us to understand. And we've already heard it on the organ and sang out loud. It's a song so nice we had to do it twice. But the first verse of the song goes like this. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God of my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on your servant's plight. 
and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my name be blessed. Could the world be about to turn? Mary is celebrating God's faithfulness to her and how fortunate she is to play this role in God's story of redemption. But it doesn't stop there. The second half of Mary's song is about a greater joy, a joy for all humankind, because God is finally going to bring the world to rights. And she sings, from the halls of power to the fortress tower, not a stone will be left on stone. Let the king beware, for your justice tears every tyrant from his throne. The hungry poor shall weep no more for the food they can never earn. There are tables spread, every mouth be fed, for the world is about to turn. My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears. The dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. This is God's joy. This is what the Advent season is about. Joy for Mary, joy for me, joy for you, joy for all people, and a weary world rejoices. The future that she and Joseph had planned for themselves was a good thing, but God gives them a new future that is beyond good. It is joyful. It is holy. Now, Mary is unique. She's the only mother of Jesus, the Son of God. We will never get that achievement. But this invitation that she receives is the same that we receive all the time. God invites us to either choose our own plan for our happiness or surrender to God's greater vision of joy. There's another analogy for this that I love. It comes from C.S. Lewis, and he's borrowing from George MacDonald. It turns out a lot of times preachers borrow things from other preachers. But he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what God's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in your roof and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But soon, he starts knocking the house around in a way that hurts abominably. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing over here and putting an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's building courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but God is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. We all have a plan for ourselves and our future, a house that we've made. And sometimes God is nudging us in ways that make sense. He's redoing the windows. He's fixing the leaky roof. Great. Thanks, God. I can predict and understand that. Minor renovations are fine. But then sometimes God's shaking an entire wall that we view as load-bearing, essential. And if we hold on to our small vision of our future, we might hear that shaking, but we just turn up the volume of our TV and hope it goes away. Or we shore up that wall and we reinforce it and say, God, you can change other things, but this can never change. But Mary is the first figure in the New Testament that shows us the joy that arrives when you say to God, you know what? I hear you, God, and I trust you. Tear that wall down because I don't know how you'll do it, but you will make a palace instead. We'll hear Jesus put it this way later in the Gospels. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake 
will receive it. We hear it again from John the Baptist when he says, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. We hear it with Paul and Silas who gave their lives to be ministers of the gospel and they sing even in the prison cells having no sources of happiness but having every reason for joy. It's all a gift from God, that holy relationship, joy. Perhaps that's what it means to be born again. Your old life is gone. The blueprint has been shredded up and the new life is greater. The good news has arrived. Emmanuel, God with us is here and the world is about to turn and if we are willing, God is offering us something different than the life we had planned, something better. God is offering us joy, joy that is there with us in the valleys and not just the peaks of life. Joy that doesn't disconnect us from our neighbors as we try to find an island of contentment, but instead allows us to live as one interconnected body that thrives in our communion with God who creates us, redeems us, and sustains us. Mary is the first of many who show us what happens when we let go of control and let God in. When we hear God, trust God, and obey, we receive joy. A joy that takes the shape of whatever container it's in. The joy of knowing that a new creation is sweeping over the world and the world is about to turn. Let us pray. God, amidst all the blessings in our life, we can count many, but one stands higher than the rest. This Advent season, as we anticipate the fullness of your arrival here on this earth, we give thanks that you are not a God who is far away, but you are a God who enters into our story, who walks with us, who knows every bit of what it means to be human. Be with us this Advent season. Help us to let go of the plans that we have so that we can hold firm to the greater plans that you have and the joy that you have in store for our future. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.